Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome once again to Daily Daf Differently. Today's Daf is Tractate Shabbat once again. Daf Vav, we're page 6. This is Jeremy Kalmanowski and thanks for joining me to study together again. We're going to continue our discussion of the labor of carrying and the division of space. The text begins by discussing carrying uh, objects at the edge of the public domain. But the really valuable thing that it's going to do for us today is to give definitions of the various kinds of public space. So I'd like to examine in the middle of this first page, uh, first side of the page, Daf Vav Amud Aleph, right in the middle of the page. It brings us a Baraita. Uh, most of you will know what this is. A Baraita means a teaching of the Mishnaic era, which does not exactly appear, does not itself appear in the Mishnah. Baraita literally means an outside text, as it were, something that didn't make it into the Mishnah, but is of the same provenance and virtually the same authority. And it begins like this, Tanu Rabbanan, our rabbis taught, our sages taught, Arba Rishuyot Shabbat. There are four zones with respect to the laws of Shabbat. They are Rishut HaYachid, private space, Rishut HaRabim, public space, Karmelit, a middle zone, which we will discuss, and Mekom Pator. Mekom Pator is actually not really uh, one of the four at the same at the same level of significance. It really is, is a different thing altogether, but is listed here in the four. For our purposes, we can just know that it is a small space, too small to be considered private space, uh, but not really right in the public space by virtue of its being slightly raised. And you can think of it like a a pillar. Like if a, if a pillar were in the middle of public space, that would be a mekom patur. We, we don't have to focus on that right now. But the main categories are Rishut HaRabim and Rishut HaYachid. As this text will say, and I will read to you, this text will say that uh, it is biblically forbidden to carry from uh, one to the other and vice versa. A Carmelite, as we will see in a minute, is a middle zone that is neither of the above. So the text here goes on and says, what is the Rishut HaYachid? What is the private space? For example, a charitz, a ditch, shehu amok asara, tefachim, a ditch which is ten tefachim deep. You will remember that a tefach is approximately eight or nine centimeters. It's a hand's breadth. So if it's about a meter deep, a little shy of a meter deep, verochav uh, arba, and four Fahim wide, so or, or uh, an internal measure of about thirty, about four square tefachim. Vekain geder shehu gavoha asara. We give the example of a ditch, but it doesn't have to be a sunken private space. Any space which has a, a vertical barrier, some sort of some sort of partition, which is ten tefachim tall, and encloses a four square tefach space within. Zohi Rishut Hayachid Gimura. That is a total private space, like a house, like uh, like uh, a storage facility, anything like that would be your own private space. 
and what constitutes public space, what constitutes the public zone. Seratia upelatia gidola Seratia, a highway, Rashi describes it as an intercity highway. Pelatia gdola, a big public uh, plaza. I assume that the word pelatia and plaza are, are from the same Latin or Greek root, I guess. And roads which run more or less from one end of the town to the other. Uh, open roads. Broadway, Zohi Rishut Harabim Gimura, and that is a full uh, public space. The text goes on and says, Ein Motzin Mirishut Yachid Rishut Harabim. You can't carry out of private space into public, and you Ve'ein Machnisim Mirishut Harabim Lirishut Yachid, and you can't bring in to uh, private space from the public space. And if you did that, and you just made a mistake, you would, in temple times, you would own an animal sacrifice. And if you did it on purpose, you would be either the, susceptible to the punishment of karet, which is like expulsion from the people, uh, or if you did that on, in the presence of witnesses, you would be subject to the death penalty. Now these are the major major space definitions, Rishut HaRabim and Rishut HaYachid. Rishut HaYachid, private space, is not hard to figure out what it means. Rishut HaRabim is actually a fascinating conversation that has, uh, that has gone on for uh, a great many centuries. Now, what is its practical application? You could imagine, and you'd be right, that a simple common sense definition would, would include anything like, uh, anything like a major public square in any modern city. Maimonides' definition, which is based on other places in the Talmud, says any public space, any road, any big open plaza, which is 16 amot wide, let the modern definition, let's call it about eight yards wide or so, you know, uh, an amma is like a foot and a half or two feet, so it's eight yards wide, it's somewhere around 20 feet wide. Um, and is not covered over with a ceiling, that counts as a Rishut HaRabim, the public zone. And truly, it's the only reasonable way to make sense of the Talmud text itself. When people talk about things like you're walking through the Rishut HaRabim or you're at the edge of the Rishut HaRabim, you might be at a little indented space in the wall around the Rishut HaRabim, something like that, the roads that, that one, stretch from one end of the city to another. That is a Rashut HaRabim. Uh, it's the only way, I think, really to make a good common sense of the Talmudic text. However, there has been a, a further addition into this definition. It's evidenced elsewhere in the Talmud also that the space of, the idea of Rashut HaRabim, public space, is based on the Israelite camp as they traveled through the desert all of those centuries ago, back in biblical times. And as you may know, there are supposed to be 600,000 males in the Israelite camp. So, in post-Talmudic times, it's not mentioned in the Talmud itself, but in post-Talmudic times, a new term got introduced to the definition of Rishut HaRabim, which was that it had to be a space in which 600,000 people either can easily or do regularly travel. And so, by the time the Middle Ages came along, uh, Rashi says this, Rashi lived in the 11th century, and he says this not on our page in Talmud, but in Tractate Eruvin, he, he brings this requirement, uh, 
presumably based on the early post-Talmudic authorities called the Geonim. And a little bit later than Rashi, uh, you begin to see this statement which says that in our day there, uh, there exist no Rishu Yot Harabim. In our day there exist no spaces which actually meet the uh, requirements of Rishut HaRabim. Now, <laughs> uh, there is a tendency you have called in rabbinic texts, called rabbinic culture, called Yeridat HaDorot. Everything, everything now is worse than it used to be. So the suggestion would seem to be something like, back there in ancient times, our, our ancestors lived in cities that were bigger and more reasonably structured, and, and our laws are oriented towards those cities, but not, not our cities. Our cities are sort of junior versions of those things. Obviously, this is not true in any, in any practical sense, but that does find its way into uh, halacha nowadays. And the Shulchan Aruch actually gives us no help because in two different places, the Shulchan Aruch at one point codifies Maimonides' fairly common sense uh, uh, definition of Rishut HaRabim as just being any great big public square where the people congregate and, and, and everyone can access easily. But then he notes that people also have this, this uh, sub-requirement about 600,000 people. His phrasing at that point appears to be that he doesn't agree with that second view, that he believes like Maimonides. But then in another place altogether, uh, he says, but nowadays we don't have any Rishut HaRabim, we don't have any public space. So he appears to contradict himself. If anyone wants to look that up, the, the first one that I called commonsensical is found in Arachayim, uh, paragraph number 345. And the other one, where he takes it back, is found in Arachayim 303.18. There's, I'll tell you, a relevant, a relevant point that, that can be made out of that. Um, if there is no official Rishut HaRabim nowadays, and even if you walk the middle of Broadway carrying your carrying your items, it wouldn't be biblically a violation of carrying, then there are all kinds of things that we don't do, like we don't blow the shofar on, on Shabbat, uh, on Rosh Hashanah if it falls on Shabbat, we don't carry our lulav on Sukkot if it falls on Shabbat. There's actually no good reason to do those things if carrying would maximally only be a rabbinic violation. If it's only a rabbinic violation, that shouldn't be strong enough to nullify our uh, our Torah commanded uh, performance of those other of those other mitzvot. Um, there's another cool thing here. Uh, the, the the Gemara says that a desert can be a reshut harabim. As I mentioned to you, uh, it's based on the idea that the the camp of Israel was a reshut harabim. Uh, the Talmud appears to say back then the desert was a reshut harabim public zone. Now it's not. Maimonides, however, understands that in the exact opposite way. Since back then, the desert was a kind of private zone belonging to the Jewish people, but nowadays that anybody can walk down, the desert is a public zone nowadays. Finally, there's one last thing that is way cool on our page on, on Dachbet. There is a teaching that, that Rav says he found in a Megillat Starim, a hidden scroll, in which one of the teachers, uh, a figure called Isi ben Yehuda, suggests that although all of the all of the Shabbat violations incur the death penalty, there is one that by tradition does not incur the death penalty. 
Now, why is this written in a secret scroll? Maybe it's written in a secret scroll because we're not generally, in, back in, in Mishnaic times, they weren't generally accustomed to writing notes down. Oral Torah was supposed to remain oral. And so maybe they wrote it down um, and were embarrassed about that or didn't want it to be publicly known that they wrote it down, so they, they hid it away. But I think that it is a little more likely to say that uh, the teaching itself was controversial, that there were certain kinds of Shabbat violations which weren't as serious as other ones, that perhaps uh, was threatening, and so that's why they held the Migilat Starim, a secret scroll. Hope you enjoyed studying, I look forward to speaking with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One B, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.